Hey folks, long time no talk are here. I don't know what, I don't know. It, it, it's me, it's Angel Lewis Cologne. Uh, it's the bastard title. Um, welcome to one of two final episodes for the 2019 year. Um, before we go on hiatus, we, when I say we, I mean me. Um, hiatus is not a bad word. Uh, I, I, I figure let's open the show and, and be a little open. It's been a long year, folks. It's been a crazy year. It's been busy. Um, had my first novel released. Had my first uh, anthology as an editor released. Um, those are not bad things. But at the same time, uh, I, I think we almost pushed 90 episodes of the Bastard title over about a year and a half. And frankly, I am fucking exhausted. Um, it, it, you get to a point where you're burning the candle at both ends and you need a break. Uh, and... If there's anything that I, I can dispense in regards of knowledge, uh, especially to new writers, is sometimes you need a mental break, folks. Sometimes you need to take a step back. Uh, this is not an easy hobby or endeavor, for those of you who get sensitive over the word hobby um, or career. It, it's um, And no matter what level you're at, whether you're new, whether you're failed, whatever that's supposed to mean, whether you're successful, whatever that's supposed to mean, um, Sometimes you need to take a step back and reassess or just take a break and breathe. I know I'm, I haven't written in about a month right now. Uh, and it's not like, uh, you know, it's not even being in a glut. It's just understanding when you need to rest the muscles. It's, um, I've, I've talked about it in the show. I think I've talked about it amongst people. Uh, you know, it, it's not too dissimilar from um, running, uh, cross-country training or distance running. You know, sometimes you need to sit back and let the muscles rest before you pull something and then you you regret it and end up you know getting a fucking getting surgery or some nonsense um so it, it, we're gonna take a break uh but anyway i'm gonna close out strong man we can close out strong for a minute uh this week's guest is johnny motherfucking shaw uh, one of my favorite humans on the planet one of the smartest writers on the scene um, I've said it in the past for those folks who listen to the show. If you're listening to the show, if you're listening to Johnny Shaw, uh, dispense wisdom, you're going to get something out of it. He's one of the, one of the smartest writers I've ever met in my life. Um, sharp as attack, man. He knows what he's talking about. There, there's always something to get out of conversations with Johnny. And I've, I've always been privileged to be able to have conversations with him. I think I'd argue, uh, most of the things I've learned in the last couple of years as I've gotten closer to being what I would call a professional writer um, I, I think Johnny's imparted quite a bit of knowledge upon me. So anyway, folks, listen in, enjoy. Uh, we'll be back next week for the last episode of the year with my guest, Sean Cosby, another favorite of mine. And um, I'll be back to close out. So last night I was hanging out with Todd. Mr. Okay, Robinson. Mr. Robinson. Yeah, and uh, we went to go see The Lighthouse. Which was my third time seeing it, his first time. Obviously, he hated it, because Todd and I will never agree on a movie. Um, uh, you both like Paddington. Come on, <laughs> there's got to be there's got to be something in there. Uh, but we, what was cool is we got to see it, and afterwards there was a Q&A with Willem Dafoe. Oh. So it was pretty cool. It was a little, you know, something different. Uh, let me just say, Willem Dafoe, both a striking man, in a weird way, like he was more handsome than he is on screen, in person. Oh, that's interesting because yeah. some people look like uh, like Steve, Steve Buscemi. He yeah. looks he, his features are more bigger in person than they are on the screen. Like he's. No, I, um, I don't know if it's the way he carries himself as normally or not. Uh, but I was like, this is a striking man, but he's also shockingly short. Um, yeah, he's a tiny guy, tiny guy. Yeah, but uh, you know, he had brought up, and there was kind of a you know 
one of those mind-blowing things, and it shouldn't be, but it is. When you hear an artist of that caliber, this guy's been acting 40 years, four Oscar nominations, you know, tons of great critical accolades. And he talked about self-doubt and that he's always just in a perpetual state of self-doubt. Oh, shit, of yeah. course. I mean, yeah. who, I, I, I don't know, perpetual, I mean, I would say perennial. Um, but I think we all go through, I mean, I don't know, there's a certain amount of ego and then there's a certain amount of doubt that battle each other, I think, within, within any artist, particularly any artist who is choosing to make their work public. Yeah, that there, there has to be at least a hint of confidence or belief in that what one is doing is worth being consumed, read, heard, whatever, seen. Um, but the doubt, the thing is, I don't think the doubt actually comes in creation. I think it's when you're not creating. Like, I like when I'm writing, I'm fine because it's just me and the story. You know, it's yeah. the, the doubt would come in the gaps when I'm not doing, when I'm finished, when I'm done. It's kind of like when you, when you have time to spin the wheels, right? Like, it, it was just interesting to hear him say that and kind of like yeah. learning, learning how to be comfortable with the idea that sometimes you're just simply not going to know what you're doing. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. It's not just yeah. it's not just not knowing what you're going doing, which is absolutely true. Um, like, I know a few tricks. I've done this for a while, but I, you know, I, I teach myself learning in public still like I have a certain amount of ambition so I push myself to what I do and so I, I'm not interested in doing what I know how to do already so that's always going to be means I'm always going to be in fairly like unfamiliar territory at least to some aspects of what I do but the doubt also is it's I think it's bigger than like doubting the thing you're writing like there are days where you know because, you know, and, and sometimes it's just professional. Like, I'm always broke as fuck, you know, because this is how I make my living. And the, uh, so there's those days where you're like, I picked a really stupid thing to get good at. Like, so I still have confidence in my ability, but I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, it would have just been a way easier life to do these other things. Yeah. yeah I, have, I have friends that are like professional jugglers and magicians. And so they picked batshit crazy things to do as their jobs. Okay. I was just watching a documentary recently, uh, La, La Dronvia, uh, The Old Thieves. It's a Mexican documentary. And, that, I mean, the, the, there's all these people talking with incredible reverence about this really great pickpocket. Huh. And I'm like, I think if you do anything and you do it beautifully... That's that's to me the pinnacle of human existence is do what you do well, do, do it with passion, do it with love. You know that's what like, um, and so and I, I kind of don't care what like I don't think art forger forgery should be illegal. That just seems like if I feel like if you pull it off, you know, good on you. That's a pretty impressive know? fucking skill. Like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not, it, you know, the the. The quality of your work will determine whether or not you get away with it. So it's like if you're, yeah, you deserve to get punished if you suck at it. Yeah. But if you, you know, and probably that what's true is that the best art forgers never got caught. Well, when you think about no. that, right? Because I mean, there's there's certain there are people out there that track that stuff and they know like the kind of brushes and the, the specific color combinations. So to your well, point, they, use, I mean, they make their own paint because that's how paint was made. They yeah. make, they find old canvases. That's like they have to find canvases of the era. I mean, that takes work. Come on, illegal. That's ridiculous. 
<laughs> also, you know, stealing from rich people should be fine too. So, like, um, yeah, it should be like a cap. If a person's worth X amount, like it's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, like a percentage. If it doesn't affect them, if they, no. you know, that's fine. No, I, I'm, I'm, of the, I'm of the same mind. But it was it just doesn't dumb. feel morally wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's just interesting because you point out uh, it makes me wonder. I mean, is that something that because you, you you've been you you know you've been a scriptwriter forever, and you've you know all your writing always has very strong hints of, of, of you know acerbic wit and comedy, and you think that that there's almost an extension of the idea of like kind of being comfortable with with putting yourself out there. Do you think that comes a little like do you think that it's a little more? Uh, expressed when you choose to do something like comedy because comedy is a big gamble yeah yeah well i'm still i'm still going over the fact that i'm now old enough to be doing something for like whatever like for the long period of like you've been screenwriting forever um yeah um the yeah well no comedy is always a gamble but that um uh, humor got yeah it just it, it requires like some sort of like kind of weird optimistic confidence that it, you, you just manufacture. If you're going to say it out loud, it, I think quantity saves you in a way. Like if you're funny, you, you've been trying to be funny since you were a little kid. Like it's just something that was important to you. Like you knew jokes and stuff like that. And so you have a general sense of how to be funny, I think. There's, there, there are people that are actively funny. Like they're... they're, they're their mouth says the joke before their brain thinks it, you know, that they're fast. And, um, but yeah, I think you need a certain amount of confidence. I don't really think about it that way. Like I just do it. Like when I used to do like comedy, like rewrites, like kind of gag rewrites where you get a script and you get like two weeks to kind of punch it up, like make it funnier. So you, you don't really change anything in the story. You can't change the story or the character. You just, you're literally just going scene to scene and trying to make it funnier. Um, that's a little nerve wracking because like, if you're changing the structure or characters, you can fall back on craft. You can say like, Oh, I can, you know, I, I know that I know how to fix these things. It's much more like a math equation. But when you do, when you're just trying to punch up something and make it funny, you have no plan. You just wake up and you're like, I'm going to have the funnies all day today. And, and it, you know, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And on a deadline that can be, yeah. And perspective can, gets into play too, right? Because what you think would be punchier may not be what everybody else does either. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, because it's all based on whatever they've read of yours already. You know, they're, they're, it, it's based on some conversations you've had, but at least your style or your approach is based on they've read other things of yours, but it's still, it's still going to be a unique thing. And you're actually trying to marry what you do to it with the tone of what it already is. You're not just like... Although I've ride, I did enough of those scripts where I didn't even know they were comedies when I got them. Like they were fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> they had decent premises, and they yeah. were like, but yeah, I, that, that kind of blew me away. Where you're, that that's actually easier if the thing is just stone cold, not funny. Like you're, you can find you can just go in, and at least you can keep the the humor at like seem like it has a single voice, you know. You end up uh, fucking getting an Ozzy and Harriet script. Yeah, I like um, Ozzy and Harriet. I, I grew up on radio shows. I grew up, my dad had a bunch of records of old radio shows, so a oh, lot really? of my 
Yeah, I got weird references in my my like I know I know my favorite McGee and Molly, Great Gildersleeve. That's awesome. Baby Snooks and Daddy. Yeah, very I to, funny. I have to stop myself sometimes because I was a big Nick at Night kid, when, and that was when oh. it started. And uh, so I used to watch like Car Fifty Four, Where Are You, and Dragon, uh. and all that shit. <laughs> but you know, I'm I'm but I'm like of that age where like I shouldn't have been watching it, like. Like you know, not not in that way, but just like it shouldn't have appealed yeah. to it shouldn't have appealed to an eight, a six seven year old. But right. it did. you shouldn't have been watching it because you're not seventy five years old. Exactly. That's why. Because at the time, if you were seventy five, you were excited. Um, uh, I wonder if Carfit is Carfit. Oh God, I would, I would like to like like I haven't gone back to like the monsters or stuff that I thought oh, was I just love the genius. Yeah, I, I can't do it. I'm t- I'm afraid to go back to certain things that I just because I know it's corny. And it's, yeah. some of that stuff's genuinely funny. I'm not putting down something that's of a different. I watch the Marx Brothers, Stan oh, Laurel, and Hardy and stuff like that regularly. Yeah, I I tried watching the Monsters with my kid, my my oldest, but this was a couple of years ago. He he liked it, but he wasn't like super duper into it. Yeah. Um, we've watched I Love Lucy with him, which is just fucking evergreen. There's, that's a show that is consistently funny, yeah. and anybody like you know showing it to kids, and this is like almost seventy years on. They still think it's hysterical. Well, and there's things like well, I mean, watching Lucille Ball or watching like uh, the the Honeymooners. It's like a clinic in timing. It's oh, like yeah. even the, the material isn't that strong. Yeah, and I have distinct memories oh, of episodes, man. Like the my favorite episode of the Honeymooners, my two favorites, uh, the one with the guest that tune when they when they go on the game show. Oh yeah, yeah. And the, the, the you know the running joke throughout the episode is they're practicing um, when Norton keeps playing Mooney River. Yeah, and he's freaking out every time, and at the last song is goddamn, and it's it's so like you look at it now, and it's a very very obvious joke. Oh, it's telegraphed, but yeah. I think that's actually the fun of it. Oh, you yeah. know, it's coming. It's the anticipation of knowing it's coming. Yeah, I think it. Gleason just was a master of just nailing the reaction. You know? Yeah, and and you because he's crack he's up. essentially the straight man on that show. I mean, the 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 the, the women on the show are the like. Well, everyone's playing it pretty broad. Oh yeah, it's really, really yeah. I like like that. Uh, you could go back to like that or Dick Van Dyke yeah. or I mean, there's just shows that are just beautifully done. Yeah. And I'm one of those few. I'm like I'm one of those guys in my generation. One of the few guys I think I'm 39 and I, I can definitely trace my my comedic roots to shit like that. Like I was a big Three Stooges kid. I fucking sure. love Three Stooges. Um, like you mentioned, the Marx Brothers were huge to me. Uh, Abbott and Costello, I fucking adore yeah. them. Um, yeah, but I mean Bugs Bunny. I mean, yeah, like the that. like all the, the timing stuff. No. You know uh, the the thing is, I think if you if you're a humorist or you like comedy or you you just become interested at one point, you always work your way back to the influences of stuff. You know, like you you kind of have to because you're just interested in it, and so you're going to work your way back to the Marx Brothers and Laurel Hardy and Chaplin and. and and even in, in fiction or in writing, you're going to work your way back to Twain, and you know it's just, or you're going to start there. I mean, there's, um, there's just because it's it basically is still funny, but you also when you start becoming interested in how it's funny, yeah, exactly. Um, I was going to say then, say, then like, you start to look at it at a more it's it's a, it's usually a little simpler, so it's easier to see. Yeah, I mean, well, like you mentioned before, you had, like that old school comedy, the straight man and the funny guy, and I think it comes down to juxtaposition, yeah. right? And that, like, to me, I'm always focused on that one. I, whenever I write comedy into my stuff, I I find odd juxtaposition funny. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, a good. That's a uh, yeah. That, Hell, that, that's Freud, always, Freud wrote about that. 
yeah. And, it, and that was that was always something that that interested me. You know, how do you take something like you know we write a lot of crime, so you take violence, and it's not just gallows humor, but it's just how can I make the kinetic energy of that funny? You know, even if it's only funny to me, but what what can I do to kind of make it offset? Well, yeah, I mean, it could be. I mean, it's essentially. Uh like a modified psych gag or a, or just a, or, or it's situational. Like you can, I think, I think crime fiction is a great, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, I mean, it sounds stupid, but I'm not a big fan of like silly crime fiction. Like the, I have nothing against it. It's just not my choice to read like a little bit more of the, like some of the cozy kind of stuff isn't my, to my yeah. taste. That's actually it has that has more to do with a lot of times they're more of an intellectual exercise than an emotional one where it's more about the puzzle and so I'm much more a character guy and I'm not saying that's across the board I haven't nearly read enough um, but I t- I tend to when it's like the, the the stupid thing is I consider myself a realist in all my work even though it's funny um, that I just think that it's good counterpoint to the violence or the darker stuff that's happening is because I remember growing up and it being both funny and violent. Like, and so, so I, I feel like you can capture the thing and I do go, I mean, obviously I go big and it goes broad. So I know I'm, I, I'm not pretending like I'm just a straight realist, but at, at its core, the kind of emotional palette is going to always be grounded and the characters are going to be fairly grounded, even if the situations are a little broad. And I think to create both counterpoint, but also just realism, you know, that I think if you're not careful like that, that I mean, it's what I, I, I don't think I coined this word, but uh, that kind of some of the Southern miserableism, you know, is uh, it, it could use a little counterpoint. Um, even though I don't, I think it's, I, I love that a lot of that stuff and particularly obviously when done well, but it, it loses, I think a part of what is, I don't know, just like the humanity of that place. I don't believe any place is that bleak. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, realism is silly. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've sat in a goddamn beauty parlor watching two, you know, coat bootleggers arguing over whether or not they were wearing velour or velvet tracksuits. And if I wrote that down, people would be like, this is broad and dumb. But, you know, and at the end of the day, this is shit I saw. You know, and you crack oh, it yeah, yeah. and it's fucking dumb. You know, and, a, and it's silly yeah. and it's nearly slapstick. But, you know, humanity's like that. We can be dumb, we can be desperate. You know, we when we, we can trip and fall and it's hysterical because we, you know, we, we flail like morons. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I, don't I, know. I agree with you. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a phrase. I don't know if you've heard it. It's it's truth is stranger than fiction. I don't know if you've heard that before. Um, that uh, that but that's actually that gets in the way. Is that it is true that like that like that conversation, that thing that you saw, and you put it you put it on paper, and you have to make it believable. It's you still have a job to do. You could put it down as a verbatim transcript, but you still have the job to make people buy the outrageous shit like if you're setting stuff in florida you're probably okay because that's just that's just a fucking <laughs> madhouse <laughs> but like anywhere else it's you've gotta you've gotta and there i just put down a whole state um <laughs> uh, 
I every other episode I shit on Ohio, Oklahoma, so don't worry about it. Oh, that's good. I usually shit on Canada, and I really have nothing against Canada. I just think they're gonna be. I think they're gonna be nice about it. I think it's just uh, it's easy to pick on Canada. Canada's like that one friend you have that's just like you look at them and it's so fucking easy to bust their balls. Yeah, it's just I just don't find it like I, I feel like I could say really nasty things about Canada and they just wouldn't find it offensive. I think they I think there's they probably have either a certain confidence or probably just a certain apathy toward me. Yeah, it's like oh yeah, you're kind of right, I guess. <laughs> I like them, you know. But I. Uh... Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't uh, I don't know. It's it's weird, like you said. I try, I you know, I, I always go with premises that are maybe comedic, but then you got to find that kernel of realism because without that, there's nothing to kind of like bounce the funny off of. You know, you can't just be entirely silly and funny because if not, you know, if you do that, you're writing a fucking cartoon. Yeah, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't know how to write like a like I. There, I mean, there's definitely like humor novels that I really like. Yeah, uh, I mean, and humorists that I really like. I don't think I'm capable of that, or I've never, I've never tried it. I don't. I'm interested in trying it. Like I like writing, not darker, but like I like writing crime stories. I'm really interested in um, that kind of more the arena and the people than like the actual crimes. Most of my crimes are fairly small. Yeah. Um, well, guys like Williford and Westlake got away with it. They were really good at like injecting. Even the madcap funny into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Westlake goes big. Yeah. Uh, Wilford's still hard-boiled. I mean, he's still... Not all of it, but, you know, it's... And the hard-boiled tradition was fairly funny. I mean, a lot of that... What you think of, like, the... the you're going to hear the church bells right next to a church. Um, the... Uh, the like all the metaphors and similes and all that kind of stuff that's a real opportunity for humor and the ones that we know from Chandler or, or the you know there's a certain humor in a lot of that tradition Jonathan Latimer, Frederick Brown Chandler, Hammett less so but I think humor has always been a part of that kind of big goofy violence that's a part of like hard-boiled not not more, but the hard-boiled genre when it started. So it carries over, and Williford is... is um, the Hope's specifically, or uh, the Hope, the Hope Mosley's especially. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, it makes me think of... Um, what the hell was the name of that movie? Oh, shit. It came out... It was a Clive Owen and Monica Bellucci. Clive Owen. And, oh, it's like... The, yeah, she's... Oh, damn it. And, uh, it's not Romeo is bleeding. No, that's a that's no. a different one. It's like that. Paul Giamatti was the bad guy. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I forget the name of the movie, but it was like this madcap, super hard-boiled movie. But I mean, it was just, it was funny as fuck, you know, because it had to be. It was ridiculous, yeah. is what I remember. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, one of those movies that you're just like, yeah, if you don't go tongue in cheek with this, this is just going to be a mess. Yeah, and that the thing is, that's something that yeah, I don't know. I don't remember liking that movie. No, and I'm I, I, I but I don't I don't remember it well enough. I, I think I was just indifferent to it. I don't think I have any strong feelings. It's just one of those movies that like it kept doing things that I was just like, what? And and after a while, I find that entertaining. Like once you had the sex scene slash shootout, <laughs> which I always that I, that that's the only that's literally the only thing I remember from it. Yeah. That, that always stuck out to me, so I'm always like that. I, I, I mean, fuck it. Okay, I'll, 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 yeah. I'll, 
I'm just going to sit back and let you drive, guys. Just do it. Take me where you're taking me. That's yeah, and I think the thing is, I, I mean, my yeah, I think that scene that scene was very memorable. It's two good actors I like watching. That like the, but I think it was also in this like era of a bunch of like Tarantino light kind of like kind of these shoot 'em. Well, not just Tarantino, shoot the guy, guy Ritchie shoot too. Holy shoot him up. There yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> It's like that Guy Ritchie kind of like it's yeah. all kind of style over substance. I think that was bugging me at the time because I don't think that movie had a lot of substance. No, not at all. I mean, it was like, you know, kind of like a Way to Gun, which was a, one I enjoyed, but it didn't have much substance. Um, talk to talk to fucking Stringer about that. He, he'll, he'll slap the smile off your oh, face. Oh, really? He's a huge fan of Way to Gun. You talk to him. Just yeah. tell him that you just. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> You know what? Way to Gun sucks. <laughs> yeah. I, know, I mean, yeah. I didn't, I didn't hate it. I love the script. The dialogue was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, I actually, that's one I should go back to because I, I was, I was uh, nonplussed by it, but I didn't dislike it, and I want to go back and see if I missed something. I was I'm, you know, My wife's you know. reaction to that movie was always great because she walked out of that going, "That Ryan Philippe dude's hot." Like, yeah. That's right. the- and, and then she watched an interview with him. And she's like, "Oh, Ryan Philippe is not hot. He's an idiot." <laughs> it was just one of these like flips. She was like, "Wow, what, that that man when he's not acting is just the opposite of charming." I'm like, eh, "It happens. What are you gonna do?" Yeah, he's an actor. Yeah, out there. Some some of them are some of them are charming. Yeah. You know, some, some of them are not. It is what it is. Uh, me, I think Benicio del Toro is much cooler, but that's just me. Yeah, well, no, I mean, its range is insane. So. And much funnier, but. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so how out uh, you know in your travels have you had opportunities to to do much movie watching, or are you just like are you just like in the in the grind of it writing? Oh yeah, yeah. no, I I uh, I'm, I'm watching tons of movies. I, I, I and you know TV shows too. Like I I the the I you know I'd always I'd grown up watching. Subtitles were never an issue with me, even growing up. Like that was partly the product of growing up on the Mexican border. It's like two of the stations were uh, from Mexicali. Yeah, also in two Spain, were it's in not English. too rough. Yeah, no, no, no. So uh, it's like uh, there's no wrestling movies here, which is disappointing. But it's but then so watching foreign films is always a part of like you know I went to film school and so that. I, th- I think what's really interesting right now is the number of foreign TV shows that that are now subtitled and you can watch. Yeah, it's one because in the past, foreign, for most foreign television, to be honest, like most American television, was fucking terrible. It was <laughs> terrible, especially Spanish. Like I don't know about Spain itself, but I know like Puerto Rican or like just the stuff that airs down like here out here or in Florida. You know, it, it tends to be like super slapstick comedy, very lowbrow stuff. You know, every five minutes, some girl in a bikini shows up. It, it, it's you know lowest comedy. Yeah, that, comedy that, like the comedy. I haven't yeah. watched. I don't think I've watched a single foreign comedic television show that I partly because of the cultural difference. But the crime shows, holy shit! Like every country, like Colombia, which used to just have telenovelas and and a bunch of every country has like ten name that tune game shows too it's uh, <laughs> that that uh but like columbia has what's it in english a uh, green frontier and wild district and those are both like solid productions they capture like 
both the, the jungle and, and I think Bogota, Medellin, uh, wherever. They're fucking great. And, you know, France, Spain has La Casa del Papel and Germany has Dark and Dogs of Berlin. And, you know, there's just there's just these fucking good shows. Yeah, I got to check out Casa uh, de Papel. I haven't, get, I haven't had a chance to watch that. It's fun as shit. Yeah. It's and it's well paced. And yeah. probably the like one of the best shows ever made is Gamora out of Italy. Gamora was fantastic. It's incredible. Like and so it's it's re- and it's incredible because it's very much not American in in a sense that they have a lot there's a lot of American TV show kind of things that are in it and the production values are increasing. But there's something that's distinctively still a part of each of the cultures that oh, yeah. um, I mean, that perspective that, right? that involves pacing and and how they handle a story, bleakness like some of the Korean shows like Stranger or something like that. It's willing to be dark, and uh, that's fun to see yeah. that because the serial form is a really interesting challenge and. I mean, Europe still does more like eight, ten, twelve episodes, you know. But they they still have the shorter seasons. Yeah, that's my preferred. Like I don't understand how America hasn't picked up on that because it really, it, I mean, it makes it, it helps the story land. You know, it, it you're not waiting twenty three episodes with filler. Like I don't America. Yeah, yeah, and now in the modern yeah. right, it's it made sense in the past, but like it, now that shows are more like you know have these like long arcs. Although Stranger, the Korean show, which is very good, is that's like t- fucking twenty six episodes. It's oh, wow. stupid long. I've, I've never watched it. It's good. Also, uh, yeah, it's great. I just um, actually saw um, Parasite, which came out of South Korea. Uh, don't tell me nothing. I'm so dying to see it. Yeah, I mean, that's I, the problem is being in Spain right now is that it's a dub country, so uh, I can't see any foreign stuff on the big screen because oh, it would be in Korean with Spanish subtitles. Okay. Yeah, it's um or or it would be dubbed in Spanish. It'd be one or the other. I can't. So even if I can find uh, Versal Original, if I can find it, like there's some movie theaters that show it, movies with subtitles, it's still going to be in the original language. So yeah. I'm fucked. Yeah, yeah it, it's up there right now. My two favorite movies of the year is Parasite and The Lighthouse. All right. Yeah, and The Lighthouse. Oh, Lighthouse. The Lighthouse is more of an experience. Okay. Yeah, but uh. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's been this year. I mean, I, I'm finally getting my wife to watch some of the more weird shit with me again. So, not you know, the, nice. not that the kids are older. We're kind of finally getting out of this weird... Because it's weird. When you have kids, like, I spent a good two years where I couldn't watch horror. Like, literally, I like my, I couldn't fucking stomach it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's got to change. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it was fucking th- there's weird. been times in my life I just didn't... That's not what I wanted, and I yeah. just wanted to watch fucking great british bake-off you yeah, know exactly. like, yeah i just like i just didn't have the fucking there's i have my moods and great british bake-off yeah. is wonderful but <laughs> oh i love it it's 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 like yeah that's it's like watching bob ross you know yeah, it's, it's just fucking, fucking relaxing <laughs> exactly everyone's yeah. nice yeah it, because like, it's not in america where it's like you know cut everybody's right. fucking throat to get ninety thousand dollars it's like you win a plate <laughs> yeah you win at you like <laughs> I know it's and they and they're working just as hard because it's just pride and what they do. You know, it's beautiful. 
and you for a fucking uh, plate. You don't you like you don't hear even when they do like and so and so. They get like, flowers too. Yeah, yeah, like plate and flowers, and then like when they tell you the postscript, it's like Bob went back home and he sees Anne every so often. They're such good friends. Like it's yeah, because <laughs> of course they are. Yeah, it's nothing like an American. They're minor like, celebrities. Know, though. They become kind of minor celebrities. But they don't even capitalize in America. It'd be like you know Jill opened up a chain of cupcake shops. She fucking destroyed some other mom and pop place. Cause fuck you, you know. Um, yeah. A couple of them have their own shows. Oh, do they? I didn't know that. From the past, they got like their things, you know, that they, yeah. I love um, that show. Which is good. And they, you know, some people, but I don't think, I mean, no, it's you, like, you just do it to do it. I, like, I love that, like, there's just no prize, really. I mean, it's just perfect. <laughs> just, you know, you, you did good. Pat on the back. Yeah. You know, Again, it's like any, you, you put anything on the air. That's about someone like is trying to, you know, reach their dream or whatever. I'll watch like blind auditions for The Voice all day. Like they'll just make me fucking cry. Like they, like I just um, that it's just that kind of. And then when you see someone really good, that's again, like I said, just if you, you know, if you if you're trying to achieve something or you have a passion for something. Getting really good at it is that, that there's just a pure beauty to that, that because it, it represents it represents the time and sacrifice that you put into a thing. Yeah. Now I want to do a show like Great American Write Off, and it's just going to be very sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it'll be literally you just call it the write off. You just call it the write off. Yeah, just a bunch of writers uh, sitting in a room like going, but I, I you know, I, I keep trying. <laughs> But that's, I mean, but that's everybody and everything. Have you ever met actors? Holy shit. Oh, yeah, like, I can't even you know, it. it's, this shit's hard. I mean, I'm totally lucky. I know, I know I'm lucky. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I didn't work hard, but I'm, I'm lucky as hell. You know, it, it, like you said before, I mean, the, you know, the, the decision to say, I need this to be shared. Yeah, is huge. I think you know that's like that's like one of the first massive decisions you make. You know, and I, I honestly think that does divide a hobbyist from a professional, right? Like you know, and I hate to use those terms because I know that you know I don't. Like yeah, I don't think that I don't. I think those terms are. Yeah, I, I can see what you're, but you you're saying, saying, but like, I think know, it's kind of meaningless because it's a little little demeaning. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but you know, did that jump to finally say I believe in you know it's not even myself because like you said before like you can believe in yourself but then there's a lot of self-doubt in between but to believe in the product what you know what yeah well i and i no, i uh i i don't i i don't think it's the product like well yeah the product I, I was thinking of it like a product but um no that it's it's partly because art it to me is as art not commerce but as art is meant it's a it's a mediation it's it's meant to be a conversation it's not a conversation but it's meant to connect with somebody else so if you're writing say a piece of art not a diary but if you're writing a novel or a short story it's implied that there's an audience to read it that's that would be the implication because of the at some point because it's a medium that is meant to be read, not by yourself, but by somebody else. If you make a movie, people would see it. If you record a song, the reason you recorded it was so that there's not just a record of it, but that so, so someone else can hear it. If you paint a painting, 
um, it's meant to be seen. That so, without the commerce attached to it, I'm because I'm much more interested in readers than I am in money. Yeah. Now, it, often readers equal money. You know, they 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 go together because I understand how money works. Um, but uh, that re- it, the reader is the real connection. Because I sell a lot of books and that people will never read. Because I own a lot of books that I will never read. So I know I know that sometimes it's you just you sold someone the potential to read it. Yeah, you know? but you can't account for life and time and yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everyone should own more books than they can read. I mean, yeah. Jesus. Um, I'm turning around and it's an entire pile that I keep saying I intend to read and I haven't. Yeah, yeah. and that's but that that's cool, you know. But any writer would is very happy that you own that book yeah. or bought that book or stole it. I don't know, but they. Uh, they would prefer that you read it, you know, oh, yeah. that's, that, that's the connection. And so I think even from the start, when you write your first short story or you write a story when you're a little kid, like you, if you're writing it as a story, I think, you know, you want it to be read where it's not just for you. Yeah. And so that idea of sharing it is actually doing something that's just natural to that act of creation. So and it's just getting past yourself. Like, I don't think it's an indictment of me when someone hates my work. You know, they don't hate me. I don't, you can, if you don't like my stuff, I don't, that's not going to hurt my feelings. It's not going to, you know, I don't, I have enough confidence. Well, I have enough separation between my work and myself. Um, but I also have enough confidence that it's just going to be, you know, that's, I don't want to write work that everyone likes. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would, I would be the, the God damn hate it, but just don't be, you know, tepid to it. I don't want to be middle of the road. Well, no, you'd be a dick about it. That's, that's just, I like when people are themselves. Like if, if, if you're a dick, be a dick about it. So I know that just makes everything easier. <laughs> <laughs> but you want to evoke a reaction, right? Cause that's, that's kind of the point. No, it's just it, the, the, when people don't like my work. It, it all it all it means is that wrong book, wrong person. It, it was just a bad connection. It's like it it wasn't the right book for that person. I've read plenty of books I picked up and I was like, oh no, not for me. That's not an indictment of the book. That doesn't tell me anything about the book. It just tells you that I'm not the audience for that book. Yeah. So and. It's the people that it's actually like people have to get used to putting a book down when they're like not liking it. It's the people that demand on finishing what they started when it comes to reading. That's just torturous, you know, to read something you fucking hate. I don't. It's the same with like movies or TV. I don't get that mindset. If you don't like it, like there's nobody holding a goddamn gun to your head. It's probably not going to get better, you know, or it's going to be about you know maybe. There's probably something that I can name that like the first 20 minutes or half hour is a slog and then it gets great. Now I can name stuff that probably gets okay. You know, I don't know if that's worth. That's one of my least favorite things when people tell you about a show or a movie like that. I'm like, how could you not like it? And it's like, why? I hate that question. How can you not like it? Yeah. I'm like, what do you, you know, it's a dumb question because you're projecting yourself onto others. Like, you know, like I was saying yesterday, end of the movie, I, I could see Todd did not like the movie. 
you know, mm. and I was laughing and I was like, well, what, you know, so instead of being like, why don't you like it? I wanted to be like, you know, what, what didn't you like about it? Let's talk about it. And it's not like I'm trying to, I wasn't trying to change his mind. I just kind of wanted to get his perspective to understand. Uh -huh. And then maybe even, you know, there might be some perspective that I didn't have that I can go, oh, I can see that. I still like the movie. I still like the, I still like the art, but I can see where you're coming from. And I think that uh, that's a more enjoyable conversation to me. It is. That's like, that's a grown up way to do it, yeah. you know, but I still think, you know, I just still think people are fucking crazy for not liking certain, like I still judge people's tastes. I mean, come on. Like I'm, I have a friend that doesn't like raising Arizona and I think that's fucking <laughs> insane. Well, I mean, it, that, it, that, that makes no logical sense to me. Like, I can't get my head around that. that. That's a like, difficult movie to dislike. Yeah, I no, I'd agree. I don't know. I mean, that's that was my first Coen Brothers movie. I, my mom accidentally, ba my mom accidentally took me to see that as a kid because she saw a baby on the poster. No, oh, that's good. That's yeah, a good. There's a baby in this movie. Fuck it. It'll be fine. No, now I'm convinced that guy's a sociopath. Like I don't, I don't, I, I just can't. Like no, I, I think we, we do. I think the wording, like you said, is like, what don't you like about it? I think that's a better way to approach it. But well, it's, it's still I, we, we judge people's taste. We judge oh, yeah. people's taste. But I think, I think know? it's still, you know, it's an opening to have a conversation. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. I mean, you can still dislike something and still be able to talk about it in uh, an honest, not, not, not obnoxious, passionate way. And I think yeah, you can still I get think, something yeah. out of it. You can oh, no, no, I, I think you absolutely will, yeah. particularly with art uh, or any kind of art form. Because, like, trying to explain to someone why you like one sport and they like another or something like that, like saying, like, this is why baseball's cool and they don't get it and they're trying to explain to you why NASCAR's great, yeah. like, that that's just not going to go anywhere. Like, exactly. you just, like... Because because if until you can see the subtleties of something, although it could be an interesting conversation, yeah. someone can convince me of the the. I've watched enough like uh, football, enough soccer here to actually understand the subtleties of the game. It's kind of a pleasant sport to watch. Cool. They're a little fucking crazy about it here, but like, um, I'm not too far from the stadium. Yeah. But I always, I always look at it like, you know, because I, I, I like exploring how people react to things. Like for me, a movie like The Lighthouse appeals to me because I am the kind of guy that looks at art and I really like trying to explore narrative, like the thematic, the thematic undertones inside of it and like subtle things. I love that kind of crap. Like my wife always kind of like rolls her eyes at me when we go to museums and I like stare at a painting and try to like figure out more so than just admiring palettes and all that. I'll be like, well, why is that there? What's going on? Like, does this mean something? I'm that kind of a person. Um, whether I'm right or wrong, it's just a fun thing for me. I like that. It feels like a puzzle. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And something like art housey that at least has a, set, a certain quality to it will engage me because when you bring things that appeal to me in that way and make me think, then I have a good time with it. Um, oh no, it's it's when I see because I don't go to film festivals anymore, and very few things get distribution. When when you see something that's just straight up weird. You know, I'm a. I went to you know because I went to film school. I've seen Stan Brakhage and like in when the first time you see John Waters or that whole era, yeah, yeah. you're like, that's there were all these super arty because you were shooting on film, you're shooting on sixteen, and and the they they exist now. They absolutely exist. It's just where do you see them? And it used to be. It's probably still festivals and things like that. Maybe museums sometimes show like stuff. That when you see something that's weird and it's it works, that's exciting because it's there's very it's it's 
kind of dominated by narrative. Yeah. And um, I think there's still obviously way more interesting things to do with it. Um, even just interesting narrative is fun. Like I'm excited. You know, like so. Like I don't. I still watch all the American movies when I can, but oh, yeah. it's I tend to float. Like I watch probably more Korean movies. Well, Korea, they've been killing it for like 20 years. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Fucking, I mean, Old Boy is one of my top five movies of all time. Yeah, uh, I just rewatched Memories of Murder. That's a great movie. So good. So goddamn good. Yeah, Mother. Mother. I was talking to somebody about Mother the other day. Mother's beautiful. Yeah. Just fucking tragic. Yeah, Mother was very now, good. Uh, I need the, to yellow, the Yellow Sea is, is one of my favorites. Oh, man, it's, yeah. it's probably one of my favorites. It is my favorite. Yeah, I got I got an itch lately to watch the full uh, Vengeance trilogy. I haven't watched Old Boy in a little while, but I haven't watched Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance or Lady Vengeance in a long time. Um, so I, I think I might triple threat yeah. at some point. Yeah, that's good. I mean, and those movies, it, it's I don't know. I, I don't know if you're if you're the same way. I, I mean, I have. There are times I love movies that I think aren't great, but I do love them for what they make you know what they make me think. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, um, I almost said, yeah, like Demolition Man. Exactly. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's. I don't think there's a, there's been a, a movie ever created that makes you think the way Demolition Man makes you think. I mean, for fuck's sake, Taco Bell. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> three shells. I, you know, I know right. your movie. The, 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 the eternal fine. question of the three shells. Um, yeah. How? Why was Rob Schneider such a commodity in this time frame? <laughs> yeah. That's God, a mystery. He's a Judge Dredd, too. Yeah. Um, and and anyway. he was also in a movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme called Knock Off. Yeah, I know Knock Off. Uh, my God, what a fucking movie to go through. Um, that was rough. Jesus Christ. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, funny enough, Demolition Man is a movie I enjoy, and it's mostly, I know it's not great. Oh no, I, 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 yeah, I say that because, well, and I, I don't believe in the concept of guilty pleasures. It's like you just own it. You, you just, like you know, that, you know, that, or like I like this. There's a, there's a certain over-the-top goofiness that's awesome. That movie is not earnest or not that earnest. Like it knows what it is. It's, you know, it's, it's pretty self-aware. The jokes are actually jokes. We're not making fun like the Taco Bell and the thing. Those are actual jokes in it. Yeah, yeah, and the, they they sing the 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 jingles is the thing. That's a good gag. No, there are a lot but, of good gags. I mean, then you and you have also like the weird '90s tropes of you know, you have like Dennis Leary shows up and just does a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, but I also it's the weird performances. It's the same way. Like Roxy had never seen uh, the Devil's Advocate. Oh, I love and that so fucking I, movie. I fucking that, and I hadn't seen it in forever. And I watched it. And I was like, no, this this holds up to be exactly what I remembered it being, oh, which yeah. was it's a little too long, but it's just the right amount of dumb, you know. That's also kind of conscious, and so it's. Yeah, it hit a it hit kind of a sweet spot. Yeah, I think I, it's I, it's why we watch like you know if you don't watch Roadhouse every year or Next of Kin or one of those movies, they're just they're too and it's just too much. There's just too much damn fun. Yeah, I got now now my 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 oldest is nine, so I'm I'm beginning to prep. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I got he's gonna be crazy for Swayze. Yeah. Oh, Swayze was the fucking man. Um, yeah, I was I realized I was like Point Break. He can watch fucking Point Break. Um. 
That's a straight up good movie. That's, that's not a even fantastic. Like, that's, it's just a, that's just a great movie. I, it's still sorry. it still has elements of that dumbness thing that oh, I yeah. like, but oh, yeah. it's um, and I'll it's call just, it out up until like the last two years. Everybody made fun of Keanu Reeves. I have never made fun of Keanu Reeves. I have always fucking adored that man. So all this new internet love for him, fuck everybody. I've loved Keanu. Oh uh, no, he was he just I love that he man was always just out kicking his coverage. You know, yeah. he was always he he was doing the right move. Like he was always switching between doing independence and um, doing studio films. Yeah. He was picking his roles in an interesting way. Like when he's doing you know Private Idaho and and. And, but he wasn't always the right guy for the part. So when he exactly. does Dracula or something like that, oh, he was kind so, of, he was so the wrong guy for Dracula. <laughs> right. There, and there's, but there's plenty of examples. There's a lot of examples in that. It wasn't for lack of trying. No, he no. just wasn't. He he steered his career. It really like he's like the anti Brendan Fraser. Like he he who uh, didn't seem like he could read screenplays and would just be in terrible movie after terrible movie and never like lived up to like what I think his talent could have been. Yeah. I don't know if he had a range, but he was just in tons of terrible movies. You don't like Encino Man? I like, that's one of his better <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's a start. But like, you know, he was going between action and comedy and he yeah. could do both. He was good in the mummy and whatever. Like he, you know, and then he, he did all the cartoon movies and it kind of went from there. It all went to hell. But yeah, the Keanu Reeves kind of, you know, and he has, he, he has too much of a series of good movies between Speed or The Matrix or Point Break and whatever, that people could treat him, or even Bill and Ted, the first one, that, uh, uh, and he's really good in that, the Steve Martin movie, oh, yeah. Parenthood. Parenthood, that's right. Um, I'm one of those few guys that, 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 like, there was enough early on that he, I judge I like to judge people by their best work. That's how I feel like you when you look at an artist, you look at their best work and you see what they're capable of. So I think there are a lot of people that like to um, try to kind of knock people down by their worst work, you know, or thing that didn't work, which is often again like just being miscast when it comes to being an actor. Yeah. His ambition was his ambition was correct, you know, and he just he was, he, you know, yeah, no, he wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't right for him. Yeah, I, mean, I, I will stand by the fact that I do believe Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is a superior movie. That's just me. I don't even know if I've seen it. Oh, it's fantastic! It's so it's so fucking self aware. It's ridiculous. Um, okay. It's one of the few one of the few comedy sequels I think is superior to the original. Um, so you're so you're first in line for the third one. Then. Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> fuck yes. Because if, if it's going on that route, maybe it's going in that direction. It'll Fair. be the best of the three. I mean, I, I have utterly no expectations. But, <laughs> I mean, that's the, I feel like something like that, you got to walk in with zero expectations or else it's going to be fucking sad. Yeah, you know? no. But, you know, it is what it is. But, uh, I mean, and you, you mentioned Devil's Advocate. What I love about that movie is the, ju the juxtaposition of Keanu's earnest but horrible Florida accent and oh it comes and, it comes and goes so incredible. much it's so because because uh Charlize Theron like she's committed yeah like and his his just is just all over the place oh it's incredible he, I thought he actually kept it fairly soft through most of it yeah. so it wasn't it, it was when he's his scenes where he's emphasizing it and that's his problem oh but but it that doesn't balanced out with Pacino's utterly ludicrous bombast Oh, I mean, Pacino was just playing that like three Pacinos. 
it's out of hand. Yeah, like I think there's there should be like a ranking of like people that played played the devil because that's that's a good one. But I really like Peter Stormare in Constantine as well. That is hands down my favorite portrayal of Satan. And Angel Heart is also kind of high on the list. That was De Niro, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, De Niro. Like, so you got you got some heavy hitters, and uh, yeah, there's Storm- probably more. Stormare is one. He's just chewing up the fucking. Scene. Oh, but I mean, what what I love about and I I still like Constantine. I know a lot of people hated that movie. Um, but what I loved about it, I mean, you have Tilda Swinton before she was really big. She was great in it. Um, I adored. My, it, the visuals in it, and when yeah, Stormare yeah, when Stormare show, shows up, I love that he descends. It was such an interesting visual thing for Satan, right? Because sure. normally you expect Satan to come from the ground, and I adored that they had that visual of the tar dripping down, and he still descends. I thought yeah. that was fucking awesome. I, I like little touches like that. I was like, that's fucking cool. All I remember is Tilda Swinton and him. Like, oh, I should rewatch that too. Yeah, I, like, just, I actually uh, just watched that a couple of weeks ago. I was like, "This movie's fucking." Go. It's 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 you know it is what it is. It it's it's um it scratches an itch that I have, and like you said, it's not a, you know like, guilty pleasure is a dumb term. It's just it's something that I enjoy. Oh, sometimes I just like the bright colors on the screen and the loud noises. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. It's not that I'm over. Um, you know, I'm I, I I'm not. Like I like heady stuff. I like slow movie. I just enjoy. Have you seen Birds of Passage? It's like a Colombian. I think it was nominated for an Oscar. It's like a, it is a crime movie, but it's just really, really slow. You know, and I can get really into that. Um, that, but the only things that that can bug me that I can't like, and it was almost it, it's almost tied to the Scorsese thing with the the his his. But it, it's a it's a similar idea, which is if he would have used rather than saying comic book movies, if he would have used the movie um, the Transformers, yeah, to make his point, I think people would have agreed with him because you know that it's as an artistic uh, as an artistic endeavor, it began with a product. Right, that they're trying to sell, and um, I believe obviously that like um, commercial artists are artists as well. I don't think that it has to just come from the inspiration of something else. But like that one, like that felt like it was a happy meal first, you know. And I I think people could see if they don't see the history or how their what their view of comic books is either, is they can just see it as as products and i think it's more than that and so and i'm not defending him i'm saying it's this i have the similar idea but for something like you know if you're like hey it's mr potato head the movie i'm like "Eh, eh, okay yeah that was a that was made in a meeting yeah but it's also down to the consumer too right like if, if you're actively choosing to only consume that media i mean there's not much i think anybody you know who considers themselves an auteur you know, could do to change a mind. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if he was. I don't know, know if he was trying to change any minds. Yeah. But like, yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's funny because, you know, for someone like that to say that, it kind of confuses me sometimes because I'm like, well, I mean, when people hear the name Scorsese, that's that's a franchise level thing. When you you know, people get excited when Martin Scorsese makes work. It's not like right. he's struggling. 
you know? Well, it's also, it's, it's kind of the literary versus genre argument just in a different form. Yeah. You know, oh, 100%, that, yeah. Um, I think I think it is different in, in a slight sense in terms of the way films are made and the kind of if anyone's had to actually when you've seen stuff kind of built by committee and you see you know like like you know, he knows how the sausage is made yeah. and it's his viewpoint is skewed by that so if you're just a casual film goer it's his his perception of it is just going to be different because of his experience you know but i i just found it interesting because i don't see him as the kind of guy that has much trouble when he says i need x budget to oh you'd be fucking surprised i don't i think i think what's kept him for the most part is that his budgets aren't that big well i mean did the irishman was like 250 million Oh really? Yeah. Oh man. Jesus, that's that was a dumb investment. Yeah, so like that's what I'm saying to myself. Like you know, he's complaining. I mean, in the meantime, The Irishman costs as much as fucking Infinity War. How? Oh, the cast. Between the cast and the de aging nonsense, I'm pretty I mean, sure they must have given Joe Pesci cast. a fucking literal dump truck of money to come back. Yeah. No, that's that's a because that movie's long. Yeah, it's like three and a half, almost four hours long. Yeah, that's not a very good move. Yeah. That wasn't a good investment. I wouldn't have made that investment. I wouldn't have used my if I'm with my two hundred fifty million dollars. I'd have disappeared. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like, definitely wouldn't put it to a movie. It would have had a clerk's level film given to them, and they're like, "Where the fuck did he go?" <laughs> that's seriously. That's the budget of that movie. Yeah, some crazy number, man. Netflix just gave them a blank check. Holy shit! No. Hmm. Ain't that some shit? Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. That's why I thought it was kind of funny. I'm like, what is he doing talking down to like movies about big butt when like his movie is literally a big budget movie? Um, and you know, and yeah. he gets and he gets fucking. You, know, you you look at some of the stuff that he 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 he's gets to do. Like he made that one movie. I forgot the name of it. Based on the Japanese novel about the Jesuit guys. Um, came out a couple of years. Oh uh, yeah, the pet like the Liam ne- uh, Liam Neeson. Well, yeah, I think it was Liam no. Neeson and yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, Andrew Garfield. Yeah, it's called the silence or the yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. Or even like Gangs of New York. I mean, Gangs of New York was so fucking pretentious and navel gazing, and so obviously like a pet fucking project, you know? Um, yeah, I like that book. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's actually the length of movies that is my more my issue. Yeah, you know, that, for that, like that, something like Wolf of Wall Street, or like that they're you know. Oh, that 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 two and a half hours for dramas nowadays. A part of me kind of rolls my eyes, unless it deserves it. But yeah, it seems like The Irishman, which does feel like it spans and it's kind of epic, and and like I, it, there are movies that can justify it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, good, don't get me wrong. Goodfellas is my favorite crime movie. Um, you know, I, I I think it's like perfectly shot. I love the performances. I love the story. It's you know, it syncs with me. Um, it's actually got a sense of fun to it that a lot yeah, of crime movies. Do. It's fun. Uh, it's got a phenomenal soundtrack. Uh, Ray Liotta is fucking magnetic. You can't stop fucking watching him in that movie. Um, but uh, and it, it, I like it's very. It's got a great tragic element, right? It's the rise and fall. Um, you know, you've got some really good scenes. That entire helicopter sequence is still one of my favorite sequences ever ever filmed. Yeah. Uh, well, you're also you're a New Yorker. I mean, oh yeah, come on. it's no, no. It spoke to me immensely. I was I was a kid who grew up in the Bronx. 
you know, I, I got a gig working at an ice at a, at a Italian ice stand that never sold Italian ices, but I had to let them know who was coming yeah. to the door. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, we we only had like a bucket of cherry, and that was it. God forbid somebody actually wanted an Italian ice; it was going to be a fucking situation. But um, it, it was it definitely it yeah it, it always like kind of hit those those notes for me. But you know, Scorsese's one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. But I do you know I'm still a guy who loved fucking avengers endgame to the end of the world but yeah and you can like both that's the thing it's like uh, it's yeah i don't and uh yeah Yeah. i I just that tribalism i i I, yeah it's a tribalism i don't don't give a shit what other people like i mean why why would i care yeah you know it's fucking dumb to me i don't uh i don't understand how people can say i'm gonna plant my flag it's like music, right? Like somebody who says, oh, I don't listen to, uh, I don't listen to metal. I don't listen to anything but metal. And part of me just feels bad. You know, it's, it, and it's not like I would want to push them to like anything that they don't want to like, but part of me is just like, man, you're, you're kind of, yeah. you think you're depriving yourself of, of, you know, even the experience of disliking something on, on, on its own merit. You know, as opposed yeah, to yeah. deciding, deciding prior, like you know, it's like. Well, yeah, my my hope is that w- is is kind of tied more in why, like you know, because people dumping their money into Avengers or into the Irishman or whatever is, you know, it, it's to have some sort of curiosity or sense of discovery to go beyond the kind of obvious stuff, you know, because a lot of that's tied to nostalgia and the past and what what we like is tied to shit we liked in the past yeah. and um i think there's i i think if 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 you're not careful there's a lack of or a reduction of curiosity in the world when the opportunity to discover new stuff has never been greater and so like going to kind of what's safe it's also i mean obviously i want to like giving a bunch of money to marvel or fucking disney or any of that is not particularly my interest so you know obviously you know torrent you know like just don't pay for it yeah <laughs> sneak in do something you know uh, but because you can that money could be to someone that's like you know an independent artist trying to do actually interesting work that avenger they'll make their money they'll be fine nobody's gonna starve on the avengers or whatever and you can enjoy the movie uh, but seeking out other things, it's things that are interesting. And I think that's why that, that affinity for what we are talking about for like seeing something a little weirder or a little odder or something that's more of a personal vision or something that, um, that, that that's a good place to put your money in a way. Uh, but also just there's a lot of really cool stuff out. And I there's plenty of times Bake Off or eventually like I don't want to be challenged and I don't want to you know I don't want to think or I don't want to you know but there's a the, you know art has the, the ability film books whatever to challenge us and and uh, the, you can you can gain something from that and that can be exciting so I I, I, I do think that I don't really what, what somebody else likes is what else they like but I would encourage a certain amount of curiosity toward anybody to just say, like, fuck it, what's on Icelandic television and see what's up. Yeah. I'm going to spin that Tra- around. Trapped. Trapped is yeah. what you watch on Icelandic television. Yeah, it's I'll check it out. Great show. Yeah. 
So, yeah, no, uh, no, no, no joke. It's it's incredible. So I'll spin this back around the writing because you you know you, you're talking about different trying different things, and I had the opportunity to read the book you got dropping next year. Yeah, documented. Um, which I mean is very much your style, but it did feel different in a lot of ways from what I've read of yours before. Um, you know, well, it's totally it's, it's I mean, straight, totally straight is, You know, it's you know, it's not uh, I think what people would expect if they only read Big Maria um, or any of your shorts. Uh, it's an you, excellent. You brought quote. it back to kind of promo. Yeah, I think yeah, that's very impressive. I, I like how you did that. that Thank was you. Like, <laughs> you did. It wasn't fluid. There was no real no, segue. No, no, but no. like you acted like there was a segue in such a like kind of professional manner that that was impressive. Well, I, you you fooled me. I was like, why are we talking about this? I thought we were talking about movies. You got to commit to this um, shit, man. <laughs> no, I, was, uh, I, you know, I, I took the opportunity when I saw a little bit of a side thing here. But, yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's good. Yeah. No, no, you get good at this. Keep it. This a while. Yeah, I know this is, this is like episode eighty something. Um, Fucking hell! Yeah. But you dro- you're dropping this next year. What you know? It was it was was the desire to write something a little headier. Part of you know what you're talking about here is just kind of like you know sampling at the buffet. Or, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I don't think it's he- it's not heady. I wouldn't I wouldn't use that word to determine. Like it's just more straight realism, and it's not tonally comedic. It's not humorless, but it's not comedic, you know. Um, no, it had more to do with that. I find I found writing humor, particularly the last book I wrote, um, which the, the Upper Hand, which wasn't a, which wasn't it, the book's good. I like it fine, but it wasn't a great process for me creatively. Um, just I I was in the right headspace to do it, and I didn't realize that until I was about halfway done and I was on contract. Um, so, uh, that's a longer story than I can get into. That's, that was just where I was that I found that writing, uh, humor for me at the time was, and I was writing borderline satirical stuff. So it's not satire, but satirical work. So it was initially a satire. It was coming out of kind of my anger at what was happening in the world, or I guess it's continuing to happen in the world, the kind of political landscape of the United States and how the divisiveness and how we believe things. And and so my humor was coming from kind of this place of both anger and in a way humor is always a little um, condescending or like you feel above it when you're making fun of something. You're making, you're making light of something. And I didn't like uh, how that, I didn't like the process. I didn't, I didn't like the process of writing humor. Um, and I, and as a novel, I mean, in, in shorter things, I can write really, really broad stuff and that can get, I can be funny without it being taxing emotionally. And it sounds silly, but this is, you live like, you know, I write every day. So that's where I live part of my day. And so I have to, kind of protect my mental state, my emotional state. And so I wanted to write something that was coming not from this sense of superiority or this anger or what I saw as kind of negative um, parts of the creative process for me. And so I wanted to come at a story from my empathy and from my compassion and kind of from kindness. And, and even though the story is part darker and maybe a little not it's not bleak but it's more serious 
it was coming from a place that I thought was, I was looking forward to, to writing every day. Um, and I felt like that was the only way I could approach that story because I mean, it initially didn't start as being three, uh, Mexican women as the points of view. Uh, but when it became that, I obviously I'm a white dude that, that I, I, there's, I can only do it right. I can only do it or, or I'm fucked. You know, because I wouldn't put it out if I didn't think I did it right. Um, so I ha- it had to come from that kind of empathy. I've only written about underdogs. That's all I know how to write about. That's all I care about writing about. And I don't know why everyone isn't writing about migrants right now. Yeah, I, I, I can't. I can't understand any other story that's uh, more interesting or compelling or tragic um, than uh, unauthorized immigrants in the United States. And to be honest, there's just, in English, there's there's very little fiction about Mexican immigrants. There's quite a few about, not quite a few, but there's a number about Asian, African. And I'm not saying those are bad, obviously, like, but I was surprised that the large population, particularly I, you know, growing up where I did, um, that it's it's a group that lives in the shadows, you know, kind of in the cities they live in. At least, definitely in Los Angeles, feels like it has this other culture happening underneath it. That's almost it's there and it's not there. And so uh, wanting to explore that and kind of, and then, and then you start, I start writing my, you know, you start constructing a story and you realize it's, everything's like they, it's people that wouldn't go to the police. So obviously they're going to investigate a crime on themselves. They don't have cell phones, cars, you know, it's, you can put them, you can put the characters behind the eight ball from the, from the start. You don't have to do any work. You know, what my problem, and it was hard to get published, that it was that the standard way to do it, if you wanted to write about migrants, is it would have been the story of like a white lawyer. Um, and you would have been able to see somebody like the, the white savior is not what I wanted to write. Yeah. And that's you know? difficult, too, because like what you mentioned, I know that there are a lot of times people do talk about like, oh, well. You know, that, that, that consistent debate, do you have a leg to stand on if you're not one of and you're writing of people? I'm of the type that believes, I mean, writers should write. And there, there shouldn't ever be, I think, a stipulation to write characters. But I think you made a good point. I was talking about this with another writer I had on um, a little while ago where if it comes from a place of empathy and it's not like you're speaking for, right? You're, you're, you're telling a story. And you're drawing from empathy to derive empathy. I think yeah. that's a different. I think that's a very different way of approaching. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not any of the characters I've ever written ever. And someone, I don't. If someone doesn't like the fact that I wrote this book, that's fine. It doesn't change the fact that I'm going to write the. You know, I'm going to respect. You know, I, anyone can say what they want and have their opinion. Uh, it's. I don't feel like. I, 
Ah, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge. I don't think anybody, I think if, if it's done well and it's done empathetically and I'm willing to learn and listen, and I, I definitely had enough people read it and look at it, and I, I feel like I did my due diligence that um, I think the work should stand on its own. Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not writing, I didn't write it and then write it under the name, a different name. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're not, like, trying to present it as, like, you know, I know that the term right now is own voices. Like, I think that a lot of people miss that. And, you know, to your point, it, these are things that should be written about more often. And I think it has to be across the spectrum so we can get multiple perspectives. I think it can be both. I think own voices is as much about the underrepresentation of people working in the industry as it is about the character. There's both the, what the stories are about, and there's there's the underrepresentation of really talented people that are having either aren't getting published. That, um, but the two can be separate. I mean, the two can be different. That, and it, I, to me, it's like I'll let anyone else do it. I don't really. I just I wrote a story. I'm going to put it out in the world. Everyone else can debate it. <laughs> like, I don't, that's not, I'm, I'm just going to write my story because I, I've always been, or or else it's just, I could have written it as a white savior and that would have been the wrong move. Nobody would have liked that. Yeah. Or I wrote it the, this way. And then, so if, if someone's just telling me I should never have written the story, well, I don't, I, that's not really... That's kind of bullshit. It, well, it, I, I mean, I'm not, I, I, there's nothing I can do with that. Yeah. There's no, I, I disagree. Like, I, I can write whatever story I, I want. You know, other people can choose to publish it or not. But they don't know me or what, like, I don't have, if I wrote, in some ways, if I wrote about, like, a white stockbroker in New York, they, everyone would be cool with that. And I, I have no connection to that whatsoever. You know, I have no connection. And, uh, that uh, no, I'm not, and I'm not saying I have more of a connection to the the characters I have, but I did my I did my I did the work, you know, yeah. and I think I did it well, and uh, it'll be interesting to see. I don't I don't I don't you know, like, I naively don't I don't I just assume nobody will buy the book, so that's why I think there'll be no pushback. But like. I don't see any reason why there would be. I don't think there's anything in it that isn't handled um, empathetically, and uh, I think I think the characters are. I mean, uh, obviously, the people that so far the people that have read it, including obviously the publisher and stuff, seem to agree. So it'll be it's it's being with the gore was interesting. That was a conversation because I was like. You know, it's it's a diversity publisher. Yeah, I am a I'm not. <laughs> is Norwegian Swiss diverse? You know, like I, it doesn't it doesn't like you know that. Uh, and so that was you know, and that was really about how they chose to define it. Like you know, so um, no, I think it's a I think it's one of the best things I've written. So I'm really proud of it, and I, I do hope people read it. Oh, I, I, uh, I, I actually agree with you. And I, you know, whatever my opinion's worth, but I do agree with you. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I, think it's a, I think it's an interesting conversation. I don't, from an artist's point of view, 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, well, I'm gonna listen to everybody. From an artist's point of view, I'm gonna make what I make, you know. And the the whole idea is that then you get to critique it. Yeah. That's then the world gets to critique it. And maybe I can learn from that criticism if I read my reviews. But um, more so that it's like that's the convert. That's not you make your thing, you put it in the world. The world tells you. Everyone gives their opinion, which ranged from awesome to terrible. And uh, maybe, you know, it'd be an interesting conversation that I'm willing to have, but I'm more interested in listening to how people react to it than anything else. I don't have much more to say than the, the book. The book kind of stands on its own. Yeah. Cool. Because I'm not trying to, yeah, I'm obviously not trying to, like, appropriate something. No, you're, uh, not, you're not colonizing? <laughs> Taking over. No, it's yeah, yeah, no. It's a mess. It's a you know, it's all a mess. But I think I think you make the right point. You know, it it boils down to where are you drawing the story from, and if if it is a place of empathy, I my personal opinion is that that's what makes the most sense because when we write about these kinds of things, I mean, that should be where we're drawing the inspiration to write it. Um, you know, there are people who don't, there are, you know, clearly people who look to cash in, but, oh yeah, yeah. This isn't a way, trust me, this isn't a way to cash in. I can guarantee you from that standpoint that this was not, this was not, we we are in a guaranteed field to bring in that money. Um, uh, that, yeah, that, that I can promise you it wasn't, um, yeah. Exciting world of crime. Um, yeah. No, I don't. I mean, I think it is. Yeah. No, I think it, I think it's complicated, and it, and it's an interesting time to be uh, writing. And I no, and I made a, I obviously made a conscious choice. I mean, Roxy and I talked about it for a while. Um. But yeah, we'll we'll see. It's a good. It's it's a really good book, and so. It was the thing is it was hard to get published because it was like people were saying it was a, it was a, an issues book. That's what it was referred to. Ah, uh, okay. Various. It actually wasn't that hard to get published, to be honest. It was hard when I tried to get an agent first. That with with that was just. Uh, we're, we're, I'm still in that fucking boat. It is what it is, but one day. Dude, I've been in that boat for nine years. <laughs> you know, like I mean, I I started looking for an agent in like 2010. Uh. You know, still, you know, I'm not, I, w- I wouldn't say I'm actively looking at this point, but yeah, and I still haven't had one. That's my fucking seventh book coming out. There's a point you say, fuck it. Um, That's kind of that, where I'm at, considering I've got, you know, I think, what am I looking at? My my second full novel coming out next year, and I feel like I'm doing this on my own, so fuck it. Yeah, and you know, I keep like, you know, I don't yeah, I'm not a the thing is I'm not a poster agent. They just don't have no interest in working with me. Um, so and I'm a nice guy. Uh, I don't know what it is. We're charming motherfuckers, but well, the thing is, is as I was my my argument was like I don't know why it's a social. It's our issues book. It's not, it's not not about issues. It's just the simple fact that you make the main character an on an authorized and then uh, and then it became an issues book. And I was saying like that's that's kind of your problem, you know. That's ridiculous. Because if I set this in like a small village in China, you would see some sort of way to market that. And it, uh, yeah, the the reaction to it was interesting. Huh, you cool. know. Hey, are so, you working? What are you working on now? Anything? Are you are you kind of like just writing? 
to write new book. Yeah, yeah, I write. Well, I write everything on spec now. I'm not going to do anything on contract. I didn't like doing that. So it's it's again why I'm broke as fuck. Going back to the beginning. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I'm working on a new novel. This one's also this one's in Mexico. So I'm, I'm just I'm going all in. I have, I had three ideas for stories um, that were all kind of not linked. This one's a little more. It'll be interesting. I don't know. I'm only about thirty thousand words into it, so I'll finish it nice. sometime early next year. It's it's I'm expanding. On, I wrote a story for um, another plug for uh, both sides. The uh, Gabino Iglesias is editing a border noir anthology. Uh, so I wrote a short story for that, and then this, it gave me some ideas for, it's not actually an expansion of the short story, but I took some of the ideas and I, I kind of ran with it. Awesome. It's dark and funny and weird, and this one's this one's going to be totally interesting, but it's so far so good. And then we're both in that, I think, uh, what, I forget the title, the British slang anthology coming up. Oh, yeah, yeah, Trouble and Strife. Trouble and Strife, yeah. That was a Trouble lot of fun. That was, what was the name of yours? Do you remember your show? Uh, mine's Burner Erner. Burner Erner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wrote Dickie Dirt. <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I got a few, yeah, it's like, God, I haven't written a short story in a while. Yeah, I just finished one for something coming out next year from Three Rooms. Nice. Uh, which is, uh, they're doing an anthology like the, instead of the faking of the president, the taking of, oh, the, instead of the, t- the making of the president, the faking of the president. Um, and I, I chose Eisenhower, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, very different for me. I wrote, you know, 1950s period set piece. Nice. Uh, yeah, which was weird. <laughs> um, but that, that you know, like you said, that, that, that stuff like really gets to me because I, I get to do things that uh, I'm not used to. You know, and it's not like it takes more research yeah. or anything like that, but it just takes more. Uh, the challenge is in trying to find a way of keeping my voice without it ruining, you know, what I'm trying to do narratively, right? Like, if I'm trying to evoke something, if I'm writing something in the 50s and the idea was to really evoke, like, Serling esque Twilight Zone kind of thing, how do I do that but with my voice, you know, and not try right. to like, crib? And that was, that was the fun of it for me because. You know, it's it, it can be easy to just, I can go watch a shit ton of fucking Twilight Zone, read a couple of scripts, and just copy that voice. Um, but, you know, I don't want to do that either. I want to copy the spirit of it. And then yeah. kind of, like, inject myself in there. Um, do, you, do you think about your voice? Like, that you have a voice? Like, you don't, are you conscious it took when me you a, say it? Yeah, it took me a while to realize that I'm a, I'm, I've always been a storyteller where I'm from, you know, you know, being from the Bronx, being the kind of person that, that the culture of that that culture was always, you know, people standing around talking to each other about, uh, you know, my cousin Eddie did this stupid thing one time. You know, you kind of realize like, okay, that's a deep part of your culture to begin with. Yeah. Um. So, you know, for a long time when I started writing, I suffered with that because I was like, why do I sound so stiff? And I realized it was because I wasn't allowing myself to be me. Yeah, you were trying to be a writer, not a storyteller. Exactly. And once I kind of like, and, and it was Todd Robinson that taught me that. When I read The Hard Bounce, and I, I actually read the book, and I met him, and I, I for the first time, I, I met a writer that I heard in their writing. And yeah. Completely. Yeah, yeah. Not oh, just yeah like, completely. Know, absolutely. Yeah, not, not just, oh, I can hear him reading this to me. Like, I heard him. 
Well, yeah. Well, I don't believe that somebody's voice has to be their actual voice. Yeah. In that case, it a hundred percent. Yeah. It enhances the story. It's it's him. It's him. Um, It's him at a very deep level because of the heart of it too, as well. Exactly. Uh, And that was when I realized I was like, oh wait, I can do this. You know, like I, you know, not oh, not let me copy top, but it was one of those moments of realizing, wait, I can, I can depend, I can kind of like believe in myself. I can tell an earnest story. I can inject my humor. I can inject my little weird nuances, and that that'll work. And I and then when I finally hit that point, I tried it, and it was not. It wasn't easy, but it was. It felt more comfortable. You know, there's still the work that you have to put in to edit and revise and make things make sense and ensure that I'm not going too deep with the Bronxy. You know. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, but that's all. That's that's fine. That's last yeah, draft that's stuff. That's last draft. I mean, you know. I think there is this place where whether you know it or not, you do. I mean, in this case, you see it where you were kind of given permission to be you. Yeah. You know, or you gave yourself permission, I guess. Yeah. Um, that was. I think that was probably like the the point of which. And then at that point, that's when I started getting published. Huh. Because then I, I that makes sense. So, because I wasn't trying so hard. What's your uniqueness too? Yeah, it's I wasn't trying thing. so fucking hard to please everybody. Yeah, you know, I took I took the same approach I take to myself, where I know I'm a person that not everybody's going to love. I'm, I'm, I'm I tend to be a pretty love or hate guy, and that's that's a big part of the Bronx culture too. We're loudmouth assholes, um, you know, some to more extremes than others, and that's yeah. that's something I'm very comfortable with now as well. So. Yeah. Um, you know, when I realized that, I said, well, I have to just treat my writing the same way. Some folks are going to love it. Some folks are going to hate it. And it is what it is. Um, but I'm going to tell the story the way I want to tell the story. Uh, and what's been great about it, like I said, is I, I get to tackle other things and say, well, how do I tell a story in my style that I know doesn't jive with this kind of story? You know, like telling a 1950s paranormal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it doesn't. There, there's no way that my style works with that, but I can find a way to really at least inject those little things that I enjoy. Like, you know, in that story, I have a guy just full out punch a squirrel in the face. Um, and it's one of those, you know, it's one of those things I do that you can have this moment of absurdity in the story that is very me. Right. But, you know, especially in the way I describe it, because people know me as the kind of writer who writes violence in a way that like, I'd like to really get into the, the nitty gritty details of the actual movement and feel like the texture of fighting. So, you, you know, I'm going to describe to you what it feels like to punch a squirrel in the face, and that's very me, but I'm also doing it under cover of, you know, a more straight-laced, not a lot of cursing, um, yeah. you know, that kind of thing where it, it, it's been, that that was the, for a while, I think, I, I, I'd argue, I think it's probably one of the, one story that I've written that's been the most fun I've, I've had writing a story in a long time. How, how many how many squirrels did you have to hit to really get the description down? It's just about a day's worth of hanging out at the park by my yeah, house. It's so hard to you have to catch them first. Oh man, you just you pummel them. You drop some nuts on the ground, they come right over you, crack them. <laughs> and once you get a good feel of where the button is on a squirrel, you're good to go. Yeah, exactly. It's, well, it's the whole your, your fist is going to really hit their whole face. Like it's, it's not like yeah. you. the first, you know, the first three where it was like shit. This might, you know, this might get the cops called on me, and I had to pull back, you know. And then I started pulling my punches. So it yeah. is what it is. Just catch, them, just catch them on the corner of the chin. <laughs> really, it's really precise work. Yeah, you get it nailed down. You, you hear the squeak. You're like, okay, that's what that sounds like. Um, you know, that's what it feels like when they, you know, jump yeah. on your head. What? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I think, well, I think what you're saying is like, I mean, part of the that the it's uh, humor. 
writing humor, like I mean, even like a squirrel, even a squirrel getting punched in the face, is that that it's it's when your voice is obvious in a way. Yeah. So it's the I think that I, I switching to writing something more dramatic was like. That, that was the question, because my voice has never been neutral in terms of what I write. I have the least neutral voice. Yeah. Like it's, it's, and I, I don't actually think that undocumented is neutral, but it is more um, restrained, probably. But I think it's, I, you know, it, I, that, was, that was something that was in my mind, is because I don't really think about it too much. I just tell my story. And then, because I'm a, I'm a intuitive storyteller, but a deliberate writer, and then I really go over it. And uh, that, but that's taking a, a lot of the humor out of it. Did actually make me question: did, Is it just bland? Is it not? Because the other stuff I did was it was kind of screamingly obvious, you know, that it, it what I was doing or what you know. Well, so it's decisions I make, like, I don't know if you go through it sometimes when you're revising. I'll look at situations that I write and say, all right, for well, specific passages where I'll say, okay, this all makes sense. Now I have a decision to make. Do I decide that this makes sense to a reader and it's fine, you know, we, we, you know, we have to clean it up and polish it? Or do I look at the sequence of events and say, is this something where I have an opportunity to, to really pull in my more like very me aspect so maybe I, I can turn it or play you know play around with it and defy the reader right like i have those moments where i'll take a look at situations that i write and i'll, I'll be like oh well you know this makes you know, this is all logical right like if there if i write a fist fight for our hero and it goes sure. a specific way like it's all very logical but you know is this a situation where i can inject the lopsided bullshit i enjoy and it and it'll enhance it like you were talking about with punching up those scripts right where you know, you, you kind of find like this happy little home for yourself inside those stories where sometimes maybe you do have to, um, you know, either be a little more clean cut or approach it in a different way. But I, I still try to like not force it, though, because there, there are times where you sit yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. you don't want to just go into yeah. it and say, I'm going to get weird. But yeah. You just got to be open. You got to be open to it if you yeah. see the, the if you see the possibility, because yeah, exactly. I think getting a little weird, even even doing straight realism, getting weird is important. Like. Yeah. Because you know, there's got to be those bizarre things or those weird details or those things because they're 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 true, you yeah. know. And you need those beats to really catch the reader because as the reader's reading, you know, you can't just have them on a on a, on a level plane. You know, it, there has to be dips and, and, and peaks because yeah, you know, it just has to be there. That's the that's drama, right? And even when you're just doing straight drama, I tend to look at it that way too. Like, what, what can I inject in here, even if it's just plain old dramatic? Is there something I can inject in there that is maybe melodramatic enough to work right now you know have i had right. you know have i had other melodramatic beats no it's maybe it's been 20 pages that i haven't had a really big beat so you know the reader would probably be feeling fairly either hopefully not bored but safe right and now maybe is the time to to shake things up before we hit boredom oh that's smart that's kind of like calculated yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I, and sometimes it works and sometimes it don't you know but i think it's like you know, it's kind of like looking at it, uh, and this is, I, I tend to do that like late into the game because I don't like to do it at a point where I'm going to completely fuck myself and have to rewrite an entire book. I learned that the hard way. Um, sure. But, you know, it's definitely one of those things. And there are times I, I've sat back and I've said, no, nah, you know what? The idea is precious and it's cool. Maybe I can fucking shelve it and use it somewhere else. Um, but it just won't work right now. Yeah. You know? And it is. Yeah, that's, I think that's the right. 
you know, I, yeah, I just say yes to everything and then, then eventually say no to everything. Like, yeah. I just try everything. You throw everything at it. Um, and like you said, it's to the spirit of it. Like, you know, something like un- Undocumented, I wouldn't say it demands to be serious. And like you said, it isn't all serious. It kind of, but it kind it of does. does. It's not humorless, but yeah. it's like there's no... It's also the, the, the humor of the characters. I have to control it. Like the, when you write... When the characters are all funny, they have to be funny in their own way. And uh, if I'm going to be, I kind of have to know my limitations yeah. as well. It just didn't. It. I. Oh, believe me. There, there's efforts have been made and then probably scaled back. And there's there is like funny stuff. Although there there was a. I mean, this sounds. The, the, the book was as hard to write as any other book. But God damn, is it the one aspect is. I mean, when you're not trying to be funny every third sentence. It's you can fucking write when everyone like everyone's saying like oh I wrote two thousand pages today and I'm like how the fuck do you do that? <laughs> what you do is you don't try to put a joke every fucking three sentences and then <laughs> you can it's way yeah. easier to get a draft down. Drive yourself fucking crazy about actually like the the mechanics of a single scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Writing. I, I'm not saying it's a comedic writer can move to drama not necessarily successfully but they can move that that move that move is a, uh, probably a little bit easier than moving dramatic to comedic yeah. but that has more to do with like personality and skill set than anything else that it's i'm still dealing with character story i'm dealing with all the elements minus one when i move to drama you know so i it, it allows me a little more time to focus on everything else the uh you know, so that transition was fairly fluid. But then, but but the but it was like kind of narrative voice was the thing I, I had a lot of questions about because I just didn't know. I had a little less confidence in knowing. You know, it, it, even in humor, I've written first and third, and I can kind of move between the two. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of settling in on third though, unless I write another Jimmy Beater book. I don't see myself going to first. You write, you write mostly in third, right? No, I I, I prefer yeah. first. I tried third. I, I've done third. Um, I've done third, but I'm in third. I did because it was a challenge to me. Right. Uh, first is super comfortable, and that's where my voice shines. At least I feel that way. People may dis may disagree, but um, you know, uh, like the one of the books I'm shopping is in third, but um, usually. I go with first. What was the one? What was the one you sent me that I read? That was uh, well. Now it's called the Lesser Saints of Brooklyn, but that that one's in third. That one's in third. That's maybe what I thought. Yeah. yeah. And you know, because that, 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 that has multiple points of view, right? Yeah, it has multiple yes. points of view. So you know, and the Blackie Jaguar stuff is in third because it has multiple points of view. Um, yeah, it's a lot of times it's the story dictating it. Yeah. Whether it's open or closed, and how broad. Like I've been doing a lot of floating between three character stuff. Yeah, I usually do that too when I use characters that I feel are so large that you can't really focus on them for an entire book, or at least I can't. So I, I, I have to bounce between perspectives to like make the book feel comfortable. And it's mostly yeah. for me. And that's when I'll go third. Um, you know, like Hell Chose Me, that's all in first. Uh, the, one I'm, the one I'm writing, the one I actually just finished and I'm, I'm beginning to shop now, that's all in first. Um, how early do you make that decision? Because I, I, I think every book other than the Jimmy Veter books that I've written, which is all the other books are in third. I actually write... I've, I've written the first three chapters I've written in both versions. 
what I'll do is I'll actually write the first couple of paragraphs in both voices. Okay. And I'll decide what feels right. Especially for, uh, you know, you're open. You know, where am I landing? Because I, I like finding emotional resonance immediately from a jump. Like, we need. I'm going to let you know what this book is from the moment it starts. So if it's very much a story about a person who's already at rock bottom, I think first always works best because you can really just land with just, even if the line is like, the first line is, oh, fuck me. You know, yeah, you, yeah. You, you get the intent immediately. You um, can do that third. Yeah, you can. No, you can. But I think for me, like, once I've decided on that, like, I, I, I have an easier time if I stick to first because I can really convey it in that way because it's like, well, now let me just tap into that self-doubt. And <laughs> here we fucking go. Um, and it yeah, becomes yeah. like journal keeping. Uh, but, you know, it, but like I said, it depends on when I've, when I've decided what my characters are going to be and what the real, like, narrative thrust of the story is. If, like, if this is a more personal story for the character... Then yeah, I, I like go for, going first because I also like limiting the perspective. I want, you know, if this is a personal story, I, I don't want yeah, I get know, that. to distract. I, I want this to be like a tunnel vision kind of deal. Yeah, I think there's also the screenwriter in me. I think it, it's I need uh, I need reins. Yeah, uh, obviously, like I can let loose, and so that if it's in third, I'm less likely to get in the character's head too much, and I can just tell the story. Yeah, because I'm gonna edit all that shit out. Like I'm gonna like every book, I cut like fifteen thousand words at the end, which is just all characters thinking about brilliant thoughts <laughs> that are just I'm the, like I'm the reverse, man. I'll finish a book at like fifty-seven, sixty k. Really? And then I have to add. Well, I kind of, because I, I usually just go all dialogue. Like my my first drafts are very dialogue heavy. And then and then I'll come in. And yeah, that's a good. That, that can be a good place to start. Like yeah. I, uh, like I definitely have chapters that are just like that. That start is just dialogue, right. and then I I build around them. Yeah. Um, I tend to be. I mean, it's just it's the habit of coming from screenwriting. So I I try to think of the visuals first, and then like I try to see the. Even when I was screenwriting, I tried to see the movie with the volume off. And yeah. like I tried to know, even if it's just two people talking, I want to know what that looks like and then I can make them talk. So yeah. I'm, I'm like that kind of, and then, you know, if I write like action pieces or, you know, movement pieces, that, uh, those are usually the chapters I take the longest on because I really like to get the, I'm a firm believer of momentum. So, you know, if I, if I write something where action starts, it's from when, you know, the first foot goes down, okay, well, what is, what is the logical chain of kinetic energy? You know, um, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I focus on that a lot, and you know, it's um, I've even storyboarded, which is fucking crazy. I can't draw, but I, I try, uh, just because I really, I, I, I'm very like fucking obsessive about when I write action because I, it's one of those things I always worry about because it's difficult to convey you know physical movement in a non-visual medium. Um, well, it's also you have to things that are happening. Uh, concurrently you have yeah. to describe consecutively you exactly, want detail yeah. but you want to maintain pace there's all these things that are pushing and pulling against each other yeah so i, I like to focus on like, how do you pull that together and you know where do you find the excitement you know is it in the reaction or is it in the insight inciting movement like where's the most like what pops the most because that those are the yeah. things you should be focused on so I you know then that's why I tend to like try to avoid writing big set pieces like that because I'll spend like a fucking week two weeks on like a fucking chapter. That's hard. I mean that shit's hard. I mean partly like I just keep going back to it. I, I write the 
fast and dirty version and just knowing that I'm never going to get it right the first, second, or third time. Yeah. And just keep coming back to keep fixing it and keep making it better. Because that's way so much of that is kind of craft yeah. you know like and so for me like that that's something my handle late like i'm i'm macro to micro like i want to get the shape of the story so i can start isolating scenes and then you know like so no i uh, i don't know if you remember in that in that the brooklyn one i had sent you there's that scene where one of the characters is diving into water to get try to get somebody yeah, there's a giant melee at the end. Yeah. Like, there's kind of a... Yeah, yeah. It goes batshit crazy. Yeah, I like that yeah. part of it. Um, and, and there's a sequence where, you know, the character is, like, diving into water to try to get somebody who's harnessed um, the, the situation that they were in. You know, they weren't really expecting water. Um, right. But, you know, on top of it, this is brackish river water, um, river, you know, river and sewer water, so you had to kind of account for all these things. So I, I literally filled the bowl with water and, like, clouded it up and just kind of, like, you know, took put my hands in it, tried to get an idea of like, what is this all like? Actual, what's the ta- what's the tactile nature of this? You know, like what what is it about it that would make you fucking panic? And kind of really get my head into it because I think that that's important to convey to a reader. Like it it can become claustrophobic and it can try to you can try to evoke those sensations. Oh, exactly. You know, and that, we, that to me is super important. But if we, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, obviously practical research is the best research. Yeah. You know, yeah, where you're, like it's something you've actually hole, done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's the way to do it. And it's better than flooding a fucking room and, you know, trying to kill somebody. But, um, you know, and I just didn't have the money to do it, but. Yeah, you know, that, that would have been best, yeah. obviously. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things where I try to like, okay, well, how do I describe this to people? Because it's easy, like you can, you can do it off the cuff and that's fine, but. I like to find a place where I'm like, well, what is this? Does this terrify me? Well, yeah. It, it, sometimes it just gives you like, I mean, shit. Sometimes it just gives you the right adjective. Like it gives you yeah. the right, the, the right detail or the right level of detail that, that, that makes it real. It doesn't, I don't think it takes much. I mean, I'm, my writing's getting more spare as I go. Um, I don't know if that's just laziness or experience that like, I feel like if I can, you know, the, Maybe I've learned a few things and I can do more with less. Um, but I think I think from book one to book seven, they've all gotten a little bit shorter. I don't. I think it's been going in that direction. Um, but at this one, eh, no, this one's gonna be shorter. Sure. Um, it's also obviously takes less time to write something that's short. At least the first draft. Uh, but yeah, I think I think the more you like talk to people that you can do research on Google and stuff like that. There's plenty of information available, but you can also, if you can talk to people and experience things yourself that are within the thing you can get, you can get, it's all, it's, it's honestly going to give you a, a detail or two yeah. details, but sometimes that's enough to make the whole thing work. Yeah. You know, basically at the end of the day, if you're a new writer, try giving someone, you know, try stabbing someone, see what happens. <laughs> you might learn something. You know, at least about the, you know, the, the criminal justice system. You know, you walk in and out. Yeah. You, know, you can have some perspective. Exactly. Like, oh, that's what bail works like. Now I got, now I got some notes. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's actually more like you would know how the food tastes. It's, yeah. You know, it's, it's all that shit. It's like, <laughs> that's the good stuff. Uh, like, wow, this prison novel was fucking great. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can research like procedure and, and uh, that, that's fine. It's the detail. The palpable fear of, you know, having a, 
a toilet in the center of a room. Yeah. Truly understanding the ass-clenching horror of being surrounded by multiple drunks. Yeah. Although I'll tell you, the toilet paper ain't gonna be any more coarse than in Europe. <laughs> like it's oh, it's. That's, oh, that's awful. Goddamn Europeans. They, uh, I I spent a bunch of time in Eastern Europe, and yeah, they they are they are tough people. Yeah, they just like it's just like a plank of fucking wood. Yeah. Well, no, you could actually if you pay if you if you pay. Now, if you pay, you, you, could, you get the three seashells. Yeah, you get the three seashells. <laughs> that you know, I grew up, I grew up hanging my laundry, and I didn't grow up with a, a dryer, right? So, but then you get a dryer. I got a you know dryers later in life, and I then I become accustomed to soft towels. Ah, you know? yeah. um, and then I went back to hanging laundry, and now I miss soft towels. I just can't make them soft when you hang them up. It's the fancy writer in you, man. Yeah, Damn. I've got soft. I went, this is my last story, and then I, I know we've been talking forever. I went, when I went back down to my hometown, it had been a while, and I was doing this, this was a couple of years ago, uh, and I was the Grand Marshal of the Carrot Festival Parade, which was obviously a huge honor. Uh, I went to, like, there was a big dinner before, and they were crowning the carrot queens, like these like high school girls, or uh, the carrot queen and princess, like homecoming queen kind of thing. They, they, they ride in the parade. It's an honor. I think they give it's whoever works the most for charity. So it's it's actually a really good thing. And uh, one of my friends' uh, daughter was one of the princesses, a carrot princess, and she wanted to enter like somebody I went to high school with, and, and she wanted me to introduce her to her, her uh, daughter. So I went over and I said hello, and I went over and we, you know, because she was being grown up. Yeah. You know, we shook hands, and the first thing she said, this is literally the first thing a 15-year-old carrot princess said to me. You have, she said, you have really soft hands. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I guess the days of working on the farm are way, way past me. When a princess, a, oh, God, and her hands were, she's like in 4-H or something. She, she's definitely throwing some bales of hay. Um yeah, that was. It, I could see my friend Rosie's face. She was like, "Oh, he's a writer now." Like, it just like, it just she like afraid that I'd been emasculated. That's amazing. Which I kind of slightly had been. Nice. Um, That's what I was like, no, I take pride in my soft hands. Carrot moisturize. Carrot princesses aren't anything to fuck around with, man. Yeah, no, no, I wouldn't. Honestly, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. I would dare you to. Yeah, no, no, I wouldn't fuck. I wouldn't fuck around with carrot princesses. I'm good. I'm smart. I'm smart enough to know better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, man, it was awesome talking to you. Always good, man. So there you go. You can find out more about Johnny uh, at johnnyshaw.net. Dat. What the fuck is wrong with you? Huh? Jesus, Angel. You are tired. Um, and you can find out more about me, folks, at angelluisclone.com. Do not forget, it's the holiday season. I need subsidization for uh, my, my beer drinking and my gift giving. Uh, you can pick up Hell Chose Me. Over at IndieBound, you can find it over at downandoutbooks.com. You can also pick up Pa Que Tu Lo Sepas, Latinx Fiction for the island of Puerto Rico. You can find them at the same places. If you need to, you can go to Amazon. What are you going to do? Hey, the evil empire, but hey, sometimes you just need shit in time. Oh, both of those books make great stocking stuffers, and I promise you, you'd be surprised at their quality. Um, you know, more so for mine. The, the, the anthology is fucking... That, that, that is the tits, folks. Uh, anyway... Uh, this week, uh, we're not really doing a full-on uh, charity, but I'm going to bring up um, my neighbor, Robert Grabius, um, was in a very terrible accident back in May, uh, and he is actually still in a coma. Um, 
So I, I would I would really love it if you're listening. If you can go to GoFundMe.com, uh, you can look up. I'll actually give you the full string here. It's um, www.gofundme.com backslash f backslash Robert Gravius. That's G R A B I A S. Road to recovery. Um, it, it, it's an incredibly unfortunate situation Robert's in. Um, he's still out of it, as far as I understand. He's he's had a leg amputated. He's a young guy, man. He, he's in his twenties. Uh, anything you can give. Uh, please do. Um, it would be, you know, I, you don't need to tell me, but be anonymous. Um, but I, I think if you're looking for a good deed to do this holiday season, it's uh, not the worst thing in the world you can do. And I don't mean to be a bummer, folks, but hey, sometimes you got to remind people that uh, you know we need we need we need to help each other. Anyway, folks, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, I'll be back next week with our last episode of the year with Sean Cosby, and I promise you, it'll be a lot funnier. Uh, anyway, be easy. <laughs>